Hello and welcome to The Age Stage, a program that looks at the issues and matters affecting older Australians, made possible by our good friends at Aftercare Australasia and our new sponsorship partners, Australian Unity. Hi everyone, I'm Brendan Telfer. In the hot seat again, Paula still not feeling terribly well, but uh, we are assured that she will be back next week. Well, today on the program, Rachel Long, Professor of Economics at Curtin University in Perth, who has some alarming news. More and more homeowners, it seems, over the age of 65 are reaching retirement in mortgage debt, and those figures have doubled in the past decade. Also, we'll be speaking to Christine Logan about her Endangered Productions, a performance group for older performers and older Australians. And should there be a National Grandparents' Day here in Australia? It's big in the USA. Queensland celebrates as well. But what about the rest of us? We speak with Anne McLeish of Grandparents Victoria and Australia. All that in just a moment. But first, our regular visitor, Warren Haynes from Aftercare Australasia. Warren a very warm welcome. G'day. Really important issue this week. I see that you mm. want to talk about respite care because this for carers is just so utterly important that people can get a space where they can concentrate on themselves when they have the worry and the responsibility of those a little poorly. Yes, absolutely, Brendan. What we find is that, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it, it's just so important that, uh, that people realise that um, they're not sort of letting anybody down by choosing to look after themselves a bit more carefully. Um, you often find that people in these situations where they're supporting someone who's living at home, um, they'll let things sort of build up and build up because, you know, it's busy, um, the person they're looking after, their, their needs are changing, you know, and you have these little emergencies and little things that need dealing with urgently. And before you know it, one or two or three years has gone past and, and people are just exhausted. And it's also the emotional expectation that people are putting on themselves, and I think you're alluding that uh, to that as well, that um, they think that they probably know best or they can mm. trust themselves, they mm. know what mum wants or what dad wants. But really, what they probably most need is a chance to get away and, and re, 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 regenerate the batteries. Yeah, look, that, that's exactly what it is, and, and this is a, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a trap that people can sometimes fall into. With all of the best intentions, um, is is feeling as though um, you know people are relying on them, and they, they don't want to let um, you know what might appear to be strangers come into their home to take over their their sort of role. Uh, they often underestimate just how tiring it is. Even if you're not living with the person that you're, that you're supporting, it's that knowledge that the phone might ring at any moment and, you know, there might be something quite urgent that needs, needs dealing with. And it just creates a pressure of its own. So, so what we find is that uh, it's just so important that people recognise that, uh, recognise the value of, of the support that they're providing too, and... and Go through a bit of a process of, even if they don't think they need it right now, it's always worth introducing your, you know, your, your, your mother or your father or your wife or your husband to the idea that there are other people out there that can just get to know you initially and perhaps just do it. We, we sort of call it meet and greet, you know, where we'll get people to really just pop in for an hour and perhaps do something enjoyable together um, and build up a relationship so that everyone feels safe and they, they know who's involved and their trust's there so that um, peop people that are in that caring role 
Um, so, so I should clarify what we mean by caring. Um, this is a term that the government kind of, this is the official term that government uses and people often don't realise that it applies to them because they'll just go, oh, well I just do that because they're family or I just do that because they're my neighbour that I've known for, for 20 years. Um, but in fact what they're doing is they're taking on this really quite substantial workload of, of looking after somebody who's, you know, perhaps got a disability or perhaps got a mental illness, some sort of chronic health condition, or, or even in some cases, you know, a terminal illness, and they're just kind of doing it and they don't see themselves as being a carer. So they often don't think about how the supports that are out there might apply to them. So what about you guys in Aftercare Australasia? Is this a service that you can provide? You can come in and take responsibility for the complete care package and give people some respite? Yeah, absolutely. There, there's a range of things that are out there, but, but even for people that are on a home care package, people often think if they're receiving that that they have to be at home all the time, whereas in fact um, they're quite allowed to go and have um, short breaks for a week or two in uh, in a nursing home if that's if that's something that they choose to do. But the other thing that we do week in week out is provide these short breaks where we might just come in and help someone, um, you know, do some things that they find entertaining, a pursuit or a hobby, um, so that their family member that lives there has an opportunity to duck out and run a few errands for themselves or go and get a haircut or, you know, go and get the nails done or go to the dentist or whatever, them go down the park, go for a walk on the beach. So why are people ignoring these options then and these, this ability to, to call in some respite assistance? Well, I, I think it's basically that, that often the people that take on these roles as, as carers um, they're doing so because they're just sort of naturally uh, people that are very giving and they tend to be so worried about thinking about everybody else that they just kind of forget about themselves and they see, well, that's, you know, that's dad's package or that's my wife's package. It's not, it's not there to support me. But in fact, you know, we see it and, and, and this is, you know, a general position as well. But what we see from our experience very much so is, um, if you, if the, those key people in the person's life don't look after themselves. Well, if, if something falls over for them, often that's, that's disastrous well, it's consequences. Like, like an emergency in an aircraft, isn't it? You put your own mask on first and then you <laughs> care for others around you. That's exactly right. What, what about you, Warren? Uh, I think you've got a couple of experiences of where you have been helping families lately in, and you have some very real hands-on knowledge of that. Yeah, look, it, 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 this is sort of what prompted me too to, to think, look, now's a good opportunity to talk about it. So we had one family who, who came to us. Now, now this isn't an aged care family. This is a, this is a family that's caring for a person with a disability. But, but we see these similar issues come up. Um, and and they were they, they rang up, they've had to do it quite a way ahead and said, you know, oh, look, please, we're really looking for some overnight care. They haven't had overnight care before, but we do provide ongoing services. Um, and sort of slowly the story came out and, and they were a little bit, you know, a bit anxious about it, which isn't isn't usual. You know, they were just it seemed as though there was a bit more to stay at stake here than usual. And what came out was that um, this, this um, couple were, were, were planning to have the first holiday. They were, they were only having a week, a bit over a week's holiday. The first holiday they'd had in 15 years wow. um, without having those parental responsibilities. And, uh, and it just, I mean, it's quite lovely because of the way it's turned out, they were very worried because it was also over the New Year's um, uh, period, which is, is 
uh, quite a high demand period for, for most services and they perhaps assumed they might not be able to get the support, but we were able to put that in place. And, and it turns out they're going, going away to celebrate their wedding anniversary as well. So it's just quite lovely. Um, but it's just a reminder of how um, you're busy and, as I said, they've just been totally involved in that caring role and, and they've let things go for, for 15 years. Yeah, they get a little bit obsessed by it, don't they? And, and we had another, another uh, situation where about a month ago um, we provided support for four weeks uh, in conjunction with extended family members, um, so that um, a lady who's um, who, who is, an, is an older lady uh, um, and you know, she looks after her her husband uh, was able to go uh, overseas, actually go back to back to England, I think it was, for four weeks. Um, and so we just put the supports in, and there was a there was a, we got a lovely compliment from her actually because there were a, there were a number of unexpected uh, complications that came up, and again this just sort of highlights that. Once you've established these relationships and you get to, you know, we get to know the person and we get to know the, their, their support network and their family, how we really can, um, sort of go that extra mile for people. So they had a, their dog had a, had a bit of a, a medical emergency that needed dealing with and there were a few issues around, um, you know, running, running out of funds for some necessities and I think the, the person we were looking after also needed to pop into the doctors. Nothing too serious, but but that needed follow up and you know medication and 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 getting the prescriptions filled and all of that. And we just uh, communicated with the family and these days with you know the wonders of social media and uh, modern technology, we were able to sort of keep the the normal carer um, you know uh, uh, up to date with what was going on but they didn't get have to get too involved or stop and think oh am I going to have to book a flight home or it just never came up and they had a fantastic break. Well it's all about trust and responsibility isn't it and if you can mm. prove to your clients that you provide that at uh, Aftercare Australasia then I'm sure you're building up a very happy clientele. Um, this whole notion though about um, unpaid carers in our mm. society Warren I mean these people are providing a massive, massive service that if you put a dollar value on it would be quite staggering, wouldn't it? Well, yes, look, the, the, the latest figures that we've seen um, are suggesting that if you had to pay people to actually produce the same work that, that our unpaid carers are currently doing, you'd be looking at over $60 million, Brendan. It's quite... An 60 million or billion? 60 billion. My apologies. You're, I'm glad you corrected me on that. 60 billion. Sixty billion. It's uh, sixty billion. Yeah, I've lost count of the zeros. Obviously, it's, incredible. it's just an incredible, staggering it's, figure. It's just monstrous, isn't it? It's a huge contribution. And, to and the this running is probably where the government sort of diving for a little bit of cover here, because you could just imagine if they had to stump that up, and as a taxpayer, if we had to pay for that, mm -hmm. um, it's going to take a little bit of disposable income yeah. out of the government coffers as well. Well, the last the last count that they did, they're looking at there being two point seven. I'll get my figures correct this time. Two point Seven million um, unpaid carers currently in Australia that are providing uh, approximately full-time support. So this so. is where you can get in and you mm. can provide some of these people some assistance mm. and some respite, mm. given that the government is acknowledging this contribution, which is something anyway, isn't it, that they're not totally underwriting it, but uh, at least they're acknowledging yeah. it. Look, they do do a little bit more than acknowledge it. Um, my understanding is they do provide some support to an organisation called Carers Australia, which has, you know, sitting under it, Carers Victoria, Carers New South Wales, etc. Um, although they, they, those organisations are 
also do their own, you know, funding activities. Um, but they're sort of providing national advocacy, so they're talking to government about what's actually going on. They're some of the people that help compile these figures. Um, and they also do run some support programs as well, which are, which are terrific. Um, funnily enough, uh, quite recently we, we had uh, National Carers Week, so that was a couple of weeks ago in, in October, mm. and um, the ambassadors for that were the swimming gold medalists, um, Kate and Bronte Campbell, um, who, for, you know, for those of you that need some reminding, you know, they've both got uh, Olympic gold and, and, and world championship medals in, I think it's 100 metres, maybe, yep, like 100 metres hand, relay. Put, they're pretty handy um, swimmers. And they've actually been carers for their brother, Hamish, uh, who was born with um, severe cerebral palsy um, for, for most of their lives, and they still are today. There's actually a fantastic uh, little sort of um, video about that. I think uh, one of the media outlets might have done a report on wow. that too. So um, it just goes to we might have a look at that, see if we can grab some audio off it, actually, yeah. play it into the program yeah. as well. could yeah. be very, very interesting to um, hear. One of the other areas that people can get support from, so particularly in our area, is um, they can ring uh, Alfred Health Care Services. Um, Alfred Health are funded to provide. It's only short term, but, but often what happens is people think they're okay until they reach some sort of a crisis. Perhaps the, perhaps the carers health changes unexpectedly or they might have a minor accident and then all of a sudden they, 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 that's when it, the impact strikes home as to how much they're actually doing because when they can't do it, everyone's going, everyone's scrambling. So who's checking on the bona fides of the carer? The carer puts their hand up and say, listen, I need some assistance here. It's, it's really getting me down. Um, how is that assessment made? Who makes it? And is it automatic that you would qualify for this respite? Uh, look, it's fairly straightforward. They, they just do it over the phone. So you literally just call, you know, they've got a 1-800 number. I actually don't have it right in front of me, but I could, I could uh, dig it out for yeah. you, perhaps bring it, bring it in next week. Yeah. Um, and they just call that and they'll get talked through the whole process. And so, um, once they've outlined it, they're very, it's very easy to establish whether they meet the, the criteria. And then they'll just move on to, you know, well, what do you need right now? And, and what can we put in place? And they can put in a number of supports, but we, we often get calls from uh, Alfred Health, you know, saying, look, we've, we've, you know, here's this person's situation. When can you get someone there? You know, can you get someone there this afternoon? Can you get someone there tomorrow? Um, and they'll fund a, quite a range of different. So you, you've built into your, um, your, your business model, the contingency to be able to provide these sorts of services that quickly if you got that call? Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, in fact, for, for some years now, we, we've even had, uh, you know, after hours calls. It's, it's something that happens a bit less. I think it's, there's been a bit of a shift in the focus of the services and not, not at our end, but, um, but at the, the sort of care of services end of things. Um, but, uh, no, no, we can, we can do that within a day or two usually. Um, and, and if it was some sort of really dire emergency, we'll, you know, in those circumstances. Gee, that's a fantastic piece around. of mind for carers, isn't it? Mm. So the moral of the story then, Warren, is check the fine print, look out for what you're entitled to and probably call it in because you probably do, uh, need and you probably, uh, very worthy of getting some respite care. Mm, absolutely. And if, and if you're not sure, it's worth giving services like Alfred Healthcare's um, services a, a call because 
they do also just simply offer this sort of over-the-phone support and they run some local events and things that you can go to, even if you don't think you need something right now, but that way you're plugged in and you're a bit more aware of what's out there and you're often a bit more aware of just assessing where you're at too rather than just assuming everything's fine until all of a sudden it's not. Wise words. Well, Haynes, thank you very much indeed from Aftercare Australasia. You drop by every week and join us here in the Bendigo Bank studio. Warren, thank you very much indeed. Um, I don't want to be too flippant about it, but I think probably Paul is having a little bit of respite care at the moment. <laughs> and she will I be back. So. She will be back next week. Yeah, my pleasure, Brendan. I look forward to seeing you both next week, hopefully. <laughs> this is The Age Stage on RPPFM. Great to have your company. 98.7, 98.3, a program which we've designed specially for older Australians. Stick around. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll be talking a lot more about uh, grandparents. Do we need a National Grandparent Day in Australia? And also coming up later in the program as well, debt. A lot of retirees entering the retirement age with a lot of mortgage debt. It's a worrying trend and it's something that we'll be examining in just a moment. Stick with us here on RWPFM. A new report details a rapid rise in retirees with mortgage debt. In fact, the numbers have trebled in recent years. It's a worrying trend, putting pressure on retirement savings, government policy, and is also making some pretty big assumptions about house prices in this country. Rachel Long, Professor of Economics at Curtin University, has made a study of these figures, and she joins us now from Western Australia. Professor Ong, thank you for being there. Are these worrying trends? Should we be concerned? Well, Brendan, I think they are indeed very worrying trends. So if you look back at statistics uh, from the Australian Bureau of Statistics going back to the early 1990s, and you track Australian homeowners forward in time, you'll see that a significant proportion, a growing share really, of older Australian homeowners are carrying mortgage debt into retirement. And this includes obviously those who are aged 65 and over. But the reason why it's so worrying is that um, if you look at those who are about to enter into retirement in the next few years, like for instance those in their 50s, um, you'll see that a growing share of these pre-retirees are also carrying mortgage debt. And so you'd expect this trend to continue over time. So what is causing this problem? Is it inflated house prices? Is it lifestyle expectation? Is it the now generation? What's going on? Well, I think there are a few factors at play here. Um, if you look at those who are in their late 40s, early 50s, and even those who are now in their early to mid 60s, 60s they... Uh, they form part of the baby boomer generation. And um, this particular generation has had the benefit of um, experiencing a, a very, very strong housing market boom in the late 1990s and early 2000s. And so many of them have entered their middle age um, stage of their life course, having quite a high asset value in the form of property assets. And so uh, many of them are actually more prepared to take out mortgage debt with um, high family home values. That's, that's one. And we've also seen the introduction of um, new mortgage products, such as flexible home loans, reverse mortgages, really products that allow people to draw down on their housing equity in a relatively cheap manner uh, without having to sell up their home. Um, so that also has increased the propensity for 
debt. Um, instead of paying them down, some of them are getting more indebted over time. So, so what is their thinking then? Are they thinking about maybe using their superannuation to pay out debt on retirement, or is superannuation another factor that they're, they're not considering at this stage? How does that all fit in? Well, it's a little bit hard to tell. We don't really have much data out there at the moment, and um, this will all play out, obviously, in, in, in the next 10, 20 years as the superannuation system matures. But there has already been debates and concerns in policy circles around um, what you've just talked about, which is the danger that um, some Australians are actually um, being more prepared to carry mortgage debt into retirement because they feel that once they pass their superannuation preservation age and are able to access their super, they'll actually be able to draw down on their superannuation to pay off their mortgage debt. That creates a problem. It may be quite a rational thing to do from the perspective of Australian homeowners, but obviously um, from a system-wide perspective, um, that would create quite a bit of pressure for the age pension system because superannuation savings obviously meant um, to last people through their retirement years to fund their consumption needs rather than for paying down their mortgage debt. Um, I also have to say, obviously, the population is ageing and uh, people are healthier over longer periods of their lives. So it may be that some Australians are prepared to work longer um, maybe into their 70s, um, perhaps even into their 80s. And so that factor may be at play as well. So we're seeing these people then enter this period of their life. They're, they're sort of real estate heavy, cash mm. poor then. And so what then happens if there is, um, you know, this? if you read the Fairfax media over here on the eastern side of Australia about this inevitable correction, Everybody's madly into their real estate, and all of a sudden we see a massive correction over the next 10 years. Where, mm. where does that leave these superannuation and or retirement plans for these people? Mm. Well, if there is a massive correction, then obviously it would tip quite a lot of these people over the edge. Um, and in fact, the housing markets are becoming more volatile, and so are labour markets as well. Um, and so it does mean that more and more Australian homeowners are, are, are sitting close to the margins of homeownership. And what I mean by that is many of them are, are in insecure jobs where they're carrying high mortgage debt. And so it doesn't take very much to tip them over the edge. A massive um, house price correction would do, uh, would be one. Um, loss of jobs, um, you know, uh, health, uh, health shocks if, if you fall ill and, and you're unable to continue working, that may tip people over the edge as well. In fact, previous research that I've done has actually shown that um, mortgage stress is a key factor in um, causing people to lose home ownership in later life, um, as is marital breakdown as well. So, so obviously there are more and more people who are sitting close to the edge with high mortgage debts and insecure jobs. And if if they do experience a life shock and later life, then they're likely to tip over into the rental sector. And it'd be very difficult for them to rebound back into um, home ownership after that. Some of them might actually help uh, to pay off the mortgage debt through drawing down on their superannuation, but then that leaves them with nothing much left in terms of super savings when they retire. We're speaking to Rachel Long, who's Professor of Economics at Curtin University on the age stage. Well, these are rather gloomy sort of prospects for a number of people. Is it is it a common practice amongst this particular retiree age group or approaching retiree age group, Rachel, what you've seen so far? Um, well, 
look, the, the numbers of people who are losing home ownership in, in Asia life are, are growing. Um, we are seeing more and more people tipping out of home ownership into the private rental sector and not being able to get back into uh, the home ownership sector. It's still debatable whether or not they're actually drawing down on their superannuation to pay off their mortgage debt um, should they find themselves in a position whereby they're about to lose home ownership. But that is a um, obviously um, a very logical um, move for older Australians if they find themselves about to lose their home. Um, it'd be very logical for them, a very rational decision for them to, to just delve into their superannuation to pay off their mortgage debt and actually retain their home rather than be forced to sell up and move into the rental sector. But the superannuation system hasn't actually matured. It, it was only introduced in the early 1990s. So there are many older Australians who don't actually have much in their superannuation account as well. So I think apart from the danger of people draining their superannuation funds to pay off their mortgage debt, um, the other danger, which is equally great, if not greater, is that people are going to find themselves just unable to pay off their mortgage debt and having to sell up and move into the rental sector in, in, in older age. And it can be quite difficult to compete for housing in the private rental market when you are older, um, particularly if you're not working full time. Um, so it can be a very, a very dreary uh, situation. Wow. people if they lose home ownership in later life. Well, and it's also, of course, a lot of uh, a lot of the plans are obviously based on a lot of assumptions about where property is going to be and uh, what people can do in terms of capitalising um, their their homes, I suppose, and putting them out on the market and expecting returns at, at uh, you know record levels that we've had over the last decade or so. So a lot of big assumptions being made by a number of people. Then, obviously, that's right. If you even look at these flexible home loan products and reverse mortgages, they're all based on the assumption that house prices will just keep rising over time. And that's not necessarily going to be the case. If you look at where government policies are heading, um, the, the family home is increasingly being taken into account in determining eligibility for aged care subsidies. Um, and the Productivity Commission has in recent years put out recommendations um, encouraging older homeowners to draw down on their housing equity to fund their aged care needs in retirement. And all this is its an understandable move because there are fiscal pressures, budget pressures associated with population aging. Um, so it's logical for the government to in, in increasingly encourage older homeowners who are asset rich but cash poor to actually draw down on their family home assets to pay for their own aged care needs. But again, all these policies are predicated on the assumption that house prices will just keep increasing over time. And so um, by building more and more policies and programs around this assumption, we're actually exposing older homeowners to a lot of um, to a higher degree of house price risk, because if house prices were to plummet, um, then they'd find themselves um, with very low equity or even in negative equity in old age. I think um, some of the implications of my research are that we're going to have to look very carefully, or governments are going to have to look very carefully at um, the design of policies that actually rely on the assumption that people house prices will just keep increasing over time and that they're going to have a lot to draw down on from their family home in retirement. That's, that's not necessarily a tenable assumption. It's not necessarily one that's sustainable um, and it comes with its risks. It's what I call a shift towards housing asset-based welfare where you, you're encouraging people to rely more and more on their housing assets for their welfare needs in retirement. 
So governments are going to have to look very careful, very carefully at the risks of those sort of policies. The other major policy implication, I think, of my research is that I think governments are going to have to look very carefully at the private rental sector in Australia. We have quite a large private rental sector, so about 25% of the housing stock is in the private rental market. Um, but it's, it's, it's a very lightly regulated sector, and many people face issues around tenure insecurity. Um, they get into short-term leases, and many of them find themselves having to move around quite a bit. Um, and I think this will be a particularly serious matter for older renters. And so I think there are all sorts of um, implications there. It's all sorts of good reasons why we need to take another look at the private rental sector and whether or not they're actually catering for the ten housing tenure needs of older people who are finding themselves having to rent in old age. Wow. Professor Rachel Ong of Curtin University, thank you very much indeed for your time today, Rachel. Appreciate it very much indeed. Thanks, Brendan, for having me on the program. We'll be taking a short break right now. When we come back, should we have a National Grandparents' Day in Australia? They do it in the USA. They do it in Queensland. Should we be doing it nationally? Join us in just a moment. This is the Age Stage on RPPFM 98.7, 98.3, coming to you live from the Bendigo Bank Studio here in beautiful Wilson's Road. Hope you're doing well. And, of course, the program made possible by Aftercare Australasia and our new friends at Australian Unity. Well, this last week I was quite intrigued to learn that in the United States they were celebrating National Grandparents' Day. And this goes all the way back to President Jimmy Carter when he gazetted a national day to acknowledge grandparents. I noticed that in Queensland there's a Grandparents' Day as well. Not so down here in Victoria. And there's probably some pretty good reasoning behind that. So I thought that I'd speak to the Director of Grandparents Victoria and Grandparents Australia, Anne McLeish, who's on the line. Hello, good morning, Anne. Welcome to the Age Stage. Good morning, and thank you. I'm glad to be having a chat with you. Wonderful, Anne. So I'm, I'm curious, in the United States, they go hard out on Grandparents' Day. The Forget-Me-Not is the National Grandparents' Flower, and there's a song that they roll out as well. Up in Queensland, they're into it. But you have some pretty strong and, and firm views about why we shouldn't be just celebrating grandparents. Well, it's not that we don't want to celebrate grandparents, but we want to celebrate grandparents in the context of family. So grandparents in Victoria and other states up until now have decided to um, celebrate grandparents within the context of National Families Week. During that week, we have all sorts of activities about around grandparents. The other thought that we had was that we don't want Grandparents' Day to turn into a, a commercial exercise, which is what it has happened in America, where it's just related to buying a card and sending it off. We want the relationships between grandparents and other generations in, in the families to be much more proactive than, than that and to be celebrated regularly, differently according to the family culture. So that would be speaking then to the new role, I guess, that grandparents are playing in extended families in this country. Would that be right? That's exactly the point. And the role of grandparents is much more complex than it has been in any time in the past, I would venture to say. But it's also very different according to the family needs. So families um, place grandparents at the centre or at the sides of their activities according to their needs and to their particular culture. But whatever the, the shape of 
the relationships across generations in families are, we're finding that grandparents are playing a much more pivotal role. So what about um, the law and the role that grandparents are playing uh, here at the station and within the age stage? We've come across some rather harrowing examples of grandparents looking after grandkids and all of a sudden they're being slighted and they're being kept out of uh, configuring family arrangements after rather messy separations. What rights, what legal rights do grandparents have? And are you addressing that, Anne? We are, and you've just... um described two different circumstances at the either end of the spectrum. On the, at one end of the spectrum we have the grandparents who are raising some of their grandchildren 24-7 because the children have been removed from the parents. They have a range of rights depending on whether they get the children through the federal or the state court and depending on what their relationship with their state department is. But their rights are being clarified and codified and written down all the time. At the other end of the spectrum, you you describe grandparents who are denied access to their grandchildren because of that messy divorce or whatever. Their rights are not so well defined and their rights are only hinted at currently in the Federal Family Law Act where they are listed as stakeholders in the well-being of, of children. But it doesn't go any further than that. And we do find that the rights of grandparents in those circumstances are often marginalised or not well understood by the court. I think there's much work to be done there and we have precedents set in other countries um, that, that could indicate the way. In France, for, for example, for some time, um, if you, uh, it's been the law that if a family wants to stop grandparents and grandchildren having a relationship the parents have to describe why and substantiate the case. I see. So it's a, it's a natural entitlement by the grandparents rather than the exclusion, which seems to be the natural way of things here in this country. Yes, and it's um, what we don't do well at understanding yet that, that families are waking up to this is that as well as providing practical help, the relationship between grandparents and grandchildren, that cross-generation relationship, is very, very powerful and has, the in, in many cases, particularly where teenage children get to be a bit troubled, those grandparents can have positive influences in ways that parents can't. Now, we're starting to document these sorts of benefits. It's, yes, it is definitely a shift and a change from the 60s and 70s, you know, the heralded nuclear family, the parents and the two kids, and uh, pretty much that was it. But it would seem that we seem to be reimagining or getting into a position where the extended family plays a much more pivotal role in the development and the aspiration of families. I loved two words that you mentioned there. One was um, uh, in the aspirations of families. And the other one was that we need to reimagine families. We are already reshaping families, but politicians and the others haven't woken up to that. And so we need to continue reimagining them and we, we need to get the politicians and other decision makers understanding our imaginings and, and visualising them. And um, we need um, a lot of work done in, um, in, in acknowledging that whole families across generations have aspirations for their children 
and that it's not just about getting a job. It's, their aspirations are much richer than that. They are indeed. And I'm thinking here more about maybe some of the other examples. I mean, examples from Asia and, say, Polynesia, where basically the role of the grandparent is enshrined in the expectation of everybody in a family. The matriarch of the family is in a, is a prized role. The grandmother in some of these communities, the grandfather, they're revered. Um, they're not put away in residential accommodation or they're not tapped up as a, a bank. Uh, they're basically performing a role and a function that is absolutely pivotal to the expression of that culture. Yes, it's a very different uh, cultural attitude to older generations. Whether they're grandparents or not, it's, a, it's an attitude to old people. It's very different to the Western society. Is it changing, Anne? Um, and I think that one of the pressures is um, economic pressures where uh, you're finding, I think, a small trend, but nevertheless a trend where we've got cross-generations living together now. Um, so it's changing as a result of some economic pressures. How happy those arrangements are, we, we, we don't know. But um, it's starting to change. And I think that there is, through childcare which is another economic pressure. I think that families are having a deep-seated appreciation of the childcare that grandparents provide, particularly while some parents work. So, you know, 40, over 40% of childcare while parents go to work is provided by grandparents across Australia. Now, that's an astounding figure. It's an extraordinary figure. It must be worth a hell of a lot of money as well in just oh, pure monetary saving by leaving this alone. They don't want the lid opened on this because they know how much they're saving. They're saving a build-up of pressure about the appalling provision of childcare across this country. But on the other hand, families are deeply appreciative and they know that if the grandparents weren't looking after these wee babies in particular, they wouldn't be able to um, go to go to work. And the trend now is that you need two breadwinners um, working for families to financially survive. So you're optimistic about the future, Anne. You like the notion of the grandparent playing a, a bigger, more pivotal role in families going forward? I am. I'm um, particularly optimistic about it, um, given that at the same time as they're doing that, we're trying to make grandparents more vocal and more politically active. So we do, we're not happy for them just to play these practical hands-on roles without also um, having their say in the public discourse about what's good for families. They can't keep providing childcare at this rate, for example. It's not just not sustainable. So while they're providing the childcare, we encourage them to also demand better childcare for all families. And I suppose also the other part of that equation would be the care of the grandparents when they get a little older as well and they need some assistance. Well, indeed, but we haven't got into that yet. We've got our, our hands and our minds full just uh, trying to talk about the grandparents' view of families. But, yes, that's, that's a different issue for a different program. It will be another day, I'm sure, Anne McLeish. Well, look, thank you very much indeed. So the bottom line is no grandparents stay here in Victoria rather your energy is spent on involving the grandparent in the greater expression and the imagining of the new family in Australia correct and McLeish of Grandparents Victoria and Australia thank you very much indeed
and uh, and we hope to speak to you again at some stage in the future. You just tuned us up. This is the Age Stage, brought to you by RPPFM in association with Aftercare Australasia and our new sponsors, Australian Unity. The Age Stage looks at issues and concerns concerning older Australians. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Christine Logan has been taking a look at uh, endangered productions and also performers a little bit older than usual, but certainly tripping the light fantastic. Wilbur Wild here, and look, as I cruise down East Link and Peninsula Link, on my way down to Cape Shank to play golf or St Andrews Beach or Mornington to play a gig, I love listening to... RPP. Looking for in-home care? Try Aftercare, where in-home personal carers helping people all over the southeast of Melbourne maintain their independence while still living in the luxury of their own home. If you're currently receiving services that aren't tailored to your individual needs, talk to Aftercare. We guarantee satisfaction. So let our family help your family. Call Aftercare now, 1300 46 46 63 or head to after-care.com.au. A station sponsor. Princess Cruises is one of the world's leading cruise lines sailing to more than 350 different ports of call worldwide. Princess Cruises currently have seven spectacular ships cruising from Asia, Australia, some departing from Melbourne, each offering an array of exceptional amenities, including elegant main dining rooms, a thrilling gaming casino, theatres, lounges, freshwater pools, and much, much more. Ships that operate in Australia have Aussie dollars on board with shipping included. Call the girls at Somerville Travel and Cruise today, 5977-5433, to book your Princess Cruise, a station sponsor. This is the Age Stage on RPPFM, brought to you by Aftercare Australasia and our new friends at Australian Unity. Well, over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking to some older Australians that are breaking through the glass barrier, through the ageism barrier. And I'm very interested and delighted to be able to introduce Christine Logan, who is a driving force behind Endangered Productions. Christine, welcome to the Age Stage. Thank you, Brendan. Fantastic initiative. Um, you, of course, are in the performance area. You have been for a number of years, and you have some pretty strong views about what we should be doing as we get a little bit older as well. Yes, I do, Brendan. And, and I actually worked in the performing arts I, um, sang with the opera and worked in theatre for many years, but I also then had a change of career and worked um, as an assessor for aged care facilities, so I became very aware of the other end of, of ageing. Um, so when I retired, I um, started um, back in theatre, directing community theatre, amateur theatre, and gathered... Um, a team with me um, who were all older, retired people. We just had such a good time actually putting on these shows and realised that this was something, getting involved in the creative arts was actually a really exhilarating, creative and exciting project that we wanted to continue. So we formalised ourselves and are now a semi-professional group called Endangered Productions. So are you appealing then to people that did do performing arts in their careers or these people that have come to it more lately after they've retired perhaps? Look, a, a bit of both, Brendan. Um, we've, we've got um, two architects who are now interested in designing sets for us. We have social worker who was a, an Arabic 
dancer in in her spare time and is now our choreographer. And what's what's interesting is that we we realised that I guess we'd we'd maybe not submerged, but we had these skills, but we had to pay mortgages, bring up families, so we'd gone into sort of more mainstream careers because of, of the way our lives went and it was it was very exciting to sort of almost unleash these abilities that I guess been dormant for a while. So you get rid of those kids and then start flying. <laughs> I mean it's the exactly. same and it's very very similar here as well. There are some parallels I guess with this radio station down here on the Monington Peninsula Christine as well because I tell you what the quality and the standard of the people that have done either professional or semi-professional broadcasting in their previous lives and they come in here and they give to us is quite outstanding and truly the creativity and what is being done down here is just amazing it sounds like you're having similar revelations as well yes it is and i guess look brendan one of the big things for us when we when we realized that we had enjoyed the process of creating so much and we wanted to formalize it we sort of found ourselves apologizing because we were old you know and and then we thought no you know what we should actually be proud of that we should be proud of the experience and and not thinking that we're competing with the with the 20 year olds we should embrace i guess you know the wisdom or the or the life skills that we have as well so that's that's why we called ourselves endangered productions because we also focus on putting on unknown or rarely performed music theater pieces but also because you know we like the term endangered because we thought that's what we were as older older australians one of the things that triggered me off um Brendan was. I heard an interview by talking about ages, growing old on the ABC as they often do. And a woman called in and she said, "I'm not old." She said, "I like mixing with thirty-year-olds, and I've just done a degree, and I object to being called old." And I got really kind of bullshy about it. And I thought, you know what? You should be proud that you're old. You know, we the thirty-year-olds don't want to mix with us. You know, (laughs) that we're. I mean. I hate people who who are embarrassed about getting old, you know? It should be something that we're very proud of, you know? But are you and Endangered Productions turning things around a little bit? Do you think in the community generally we're beginning to realise that there are older, very capable actors? Yes, yes. And I guess, look, we're um, we're planning to to mount a production of Pier Gint because it, that's, it, it's an amazing play and very relevant to our times. But it hasn't been, we can't find records of it being done with the original music. But just if we're looking at that as a, as a theatre piece, we're looking at some of the characters and realising, you know, that there are, there are a number of the characters there which can, could easily be played by, by older actors, you know, that, that they will add some gravitas or some amusement to, to those roles. So I think it's actually keeping as a focus that older performers can actually add another dimension to your your piece of theatre. Do you think the younger crew are getting it? I mean, in the glamorous world of television and, and, and film and Hollywood and so on, are they beginning to understand that there are some fantastic actors in that space that do bring that gravitas, do bring that enjoyment to more general audiences? Ah, uh, look, oh, I'd like to think so, Brendan. I... I I think, but I think it's up to us to 
nothing to hide or be embarrassed about. So I think I think that's the way that I'm, I, I mean I can't really answer Brendan whether I think younger people are getting used to that idea, but I, I'd like to think they are. Well, they're yeah. going to have to, really. I mean, if the demographics are anything to go by, we're getting steadily older as a society, and you in the creative area surely have got to be at the cutting edge in terms of um, barging through and breaking through these barriers, Christine. Yes, yes, yeah. And look, that's what we'd like to think that we are. I mean, we certainly don't use older performers if it's a you know 16 year old virgin that's playing you know the, but there are ways of actually just looking at looking at all the characters that that you're putting into a performance and thinking yeah you know what that that could be an older person and would work very well Sounds fantastic. Well, look, congratulations to you and Endangered Productions. So, Pier Gint is your next big staging, is it? It is, yes. So, yes, when, yes. when, when, and where is the well, opening look, night? We're, um, we're looking. It won't be until the end of next year or the beginning of two thousand and twenty because it's a it's a big project. But um, we're quite excited by it, and it's um, we're looking forward to sort of. It, it needs some some good singers, so we've got some characters already eked out that are for older female singers, you know, that, that are happy to be a bit bawdy and brassy. Because, you know. because that often is the complaint, isn't it? Some of the older, older actors of the world scene that they just not, parts aren't written for them anymore. But I, I just wonder whether that might have been a complaint about three or four years ago. I, I just think that more and more we're beginning to see older actors, actresses in some of the prime parts. Yes, well, look, I think so too, actually. I think it's, it's, um, I mean, it's interesting, Brendan, I've just come back from a trip overseas and we were in Helsinki and unfortunately couldn't actually get to, get to see the plays because they didn't coincide. But their theatre program and the plays they were putting on, each image was actually of, an, of older people in these plays. And um, I was really curious because it looked like they were actually celebrating older performers and were, were very proud that they weren't femme fatales, and, you know, 20-year-old femme fatales. They were 60-, 70-year-old femme fatales. How fantastic. <laughs> well, uh, well the, once again, the Scandinavians probably setting the agenda in terms of this sort of um, social policy. But I just wonder what the Brits and uh, the Americans are doing as well in this space. I mean, you see the De Niro's running around, the Meryl Streep's of this world. I mean, they're still holding sway in places like Hollywood, and the Brits also doing some beautiful productions, uh, of course, as well. Well, they are. They are. So when you ask that question, I'm thinking, yes, you know, you do see some some lovely performances by the older acting fraternity. The, the Helen so, Mirrens of this world. And, and I think also we have to realise that where our demographic is growing and we feel comfortable seeing our own age group on stage or on the screen. All power to you and Endangered Productions. We hope that you can uh, roll Pier Gint out on a national campaign, Christine. <laughs> we'd love to, Brendan. And we'd love to see you down here on the Mornington Peninsula. <laughs> Thanks for taking time okay. to talk to us today on the Age Stage. Thanks, Brendan. Okay, bye. Okay. 
Christine Logan, the driving force behind Endangered Productions. And Christine, I uh, certainly hope that you break a leg. Thank you very much indeed for speaking to us on RPPFM, which just about wraps us up for another week here at the Age Stage. Before I go, perhaps a chance to once again thank our guest today, Warren Haynes from Aftercare Australasia, Rachel Ong, Professor of Economics at Curtin University in WA, and McLeish of Grandparents Victoria and Australia, and Christine Logan, the driving force behind Endangered Productions. I am Brendan Telfer. Hopefully we'll have Paula Dunn back with us again next week. Until then, stay safe. See you soon.